Hi, y'all. Before we begin our Torah study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. And we can say together, Amen. Amen. I want to continue with the themes that we've been looking at the last few weeks that include uh, having open hearts and open spiritual eyes and open spiritual ears and being able to see what's invisible to other people and maybe invisible to us if our spiritual eyes aren't opened up. And I, I, I actually want to weave together a variety of topics. So last night when I was starting, I thought, oh, wow, this feels like I'm jumping around from one topic to the next. And there was a reason for it. I was jumping around from one topic to the next. And then my, my goal was to tie them all up together. And uh, I don't know if I did adequately, but I tried. And I'm going to try again. So we're going to have a number of what about this, and then what about that, and then what about this, and then I'll try to connect the dots all together. And <clears throat> bear with me, try to stay with me. Last week was uh, Tisha B'Av on Saturday night to Sunday. It's a national day of fasting and recollection for the Jewish people of of the sorrows and tragedies, the destruction of the temple, among other things, other national tragedies as well. It's a time of humbling uh, oneself before the Lord. And then this week is called Shabbat Nachmu. Say that with me, Shabbat Nachmu, from the Haftorah portion, which is specially selected for this week. Nachmu is a commanding word meaning comfort. Comfort my people. And so it's a word of comfort to the people who need comfort. And after, after the time of recalling the sorrows, we turn to the comfort from the Lord. But as well, we do something else. We're, we're in a season where we're preparing for the coming of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a time of self-examination and examination before the Lord. When you look honestly at yourself, and you, and you take notice of your sins and your failures, of the things that you wished you had made more progress on, it's, it's easy, actually, to become discouraged. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you had high hopes that you were going to not only begin something new, but continue in it, or that there would be some dramatic change, or not only that, but when you're just honest with the Lord and you recognize your weaknesses, your failures, and not trying to suppress them, but be honest with the Lord. Sometimes there's a sense of disappointment, even a sense of shame or embarrassment. But the Lord doesn't want that. The Lord wants us to be honest with him so that he can draw close to us. The one who's contrite, the one who has the broken heart, the um, prophet Isaiah says, this is the one the Lord draws close to. Not the one who is... Um, presenting a high and lofty self-image, but the one who comes to the Lord uh, with lowliness. He draws close to this one. And so this Shabbat and those in the weeks ahead 
are dedicated to the idea of comfort, getting comfort, receiving comfort from the Lord. And my hope is that each of us would receive the comfort that the Lord has because when we trust in Yeshua, we can be honest with God about our failures, about our weaknesses, about our sins. We can confess our sins, and he's faithful, and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of unrighteousness. We may not have fully matured, but our hearts can be right before God in this matter. And so it becomes normal for us not to just give in to disappointment, but to say, Lord, I know that you have more for me. And I know that the things that you put in my heart and the things that you've shown me about where you want to go, these have really touched me. And I want to move forward with you. So I am hoping that you will orient yourself towards comfort. And there's another reason. What you receive from God, you can give to others. The comfort you receive from God will enable you to comfort others in their times of mourning, in their times of grief, and also in their times of difficulty and challenge. If you have been comforted through such hardships, then you can show other people comfort as well. If you don't have it, you can't give it away. So that's one topic. Pause. We'll switch to the next topic. We're reading in our Torah portions through the rest of this uh, cycle, the rest of this year, we're reading the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, which is the second, uh, the second telling of the story by Moses of the journey of the children of Israel and the important lessons and the commandments which God gave and his observations about the children of Israel. And so it's a review session. And interestingly, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see not only are things reviewed, so they're not only repeated, but also some details are added that aren't covered elsewhere. And this is actually a, a, a subtle lesson that's useful for all of us. There are times when we go through an experience and we have our own sense of understanding what it was all about, but it's useful later on to look back and to evaluate once again what our experiences were. And in light of where we are now, to think about and to consider before God what we've gone through before. It's also useful to be open-hearted and open-minded because sometimes when we're going through life, we pay attention to and we emphasize certain things, but later on we realize we weren't even paying attention at all to other things. So Deuteronomy teaches us this, Devarim teaches us this, that it's useful to review. It's useful to, to talk about the past, but to see it with a fresh perspective. So, pause, we'll go to the next subject. It'll come together, I do hope. If you were following the news this week, you know that several, two congresswomen, two congresswomen uh, and a trip to Israel, a planned trip to Israel was occupying a lot of the headlines and a lot of the news coverage. Uh, two congresswomen who are um, advocates of the boycott, divest, 
and um, sanctions, BDS, against Israel. And they were planning to go to Israel, as I understand it, in order to further this agenda. And Israel has a law that uh, foreigners coming to the country um, specifically to promote the BDS agenda will not be uh, given entry. And I think it's a good law myself. But to be honest, none of the members of the Knesset asked me my opinion. So that's just my personal observation. But when I was thinking about the controversies and I, I thought about the, the current state of affairs in America, many Jewish people in America are somewhat alienated from the state of Israel. American Jews, by and large, uh, especially non-Orthodox Jews, tend to being liberal politically and liberal theologically. And uh, because of that, they, they have felt estranged from the state of Israel, which is liberal socially, but um, conservative in some ways politically. And Netanyahu, as you know, the prime minister, represents the conservative side, not the liberal side. So American Jews are waffling in their support of Israel. And some are all stirred up about you know, the controversy because they don't understand international relations. They don't understand um, what it takes to receive permission to go into any foreign country. You should understand this. There are a lot of countries you can't go to if you are going to try to undermine the, uh, the existence of that country. In fact, most countries won't permit such people to come in. Well, that got me thinking about three positions that I've taken about the state of Israel that helped me explain um, what I think about Israel, the state of Israel in particular. And I've talked to family, I've talked to friends about this, because sometimes uh, discussion gets into minor details where there's a lot of room for different opinions. The state of Israel, as you know, is not a perfect state. It's a flawed state like any country. And we have to uh, recognize that. So if, if you have the idea that Israel is perfect, then you're, you're wrong because no state is perfect. But Israel is a state and it's a legal state. So there are three positions that, that I've tried to uh, distill for myself and I communicate this to family and friends and to others so that we can have meaningful discussions about important things about Israel and about current events. And I'll tell you what they are. So these are the three statements that I make. I unconditionally support the right of the state of Israel to exist and to be a homeland for the Jewish people. Amen. Second, I unconditionally support the right of the state of Israel to safe, secure, and defensible borders. And third, I unconditionally support the right of the state of Israel to protect her citizens. 
Now, these are simple things that actually apply to every country that's legitimate. And so we hold the same standards for all countries. They, they do have a right to exist, and they have a right to be a land for their people, whatever their people may be. So do you think the Afghans have a right to live, live in Afghanistan? I do. And how about uh, the Egyptians? Do they have rights to live in Egypt? And for Egypt to be a land for the Egyptians? Yes. So when we apply the simple thinking to the state of Israel, it helps us be clear. Because if we agree on those three things, then we can have meaningful discussion about policies, politics, uh, theology, and other things. But if we don't agree on those three things, we should, we should be clear as well. And so it turns out that, as I understand it, these two congresswomen do not agree on um, maybe any of these three. And certainly not the right of the state of Israel to exist and to be a homeland for the Jews. To be a homeland for the Jews doesn't mean no one else is welcome, but it does mean it's a place of safety and a historic place that uh, is set aside for the Jewish people and is recognized by the nations of the world as such. And uh, all the other countries that have these rights to be a homeland for their people, take it for granted. So um, you can ask the Irish, what do they think about Ireland? And they actually have you know, strong opinions about Ireland being a home for the Irish. Uh, the Welsh as well. So you can go on and on. My point is to, is to do something uh, clear, to, to define some key concepts that we can have good discussion about because uh, this helps us avoid unnecessary conflict and it helps us also stand shoulder to shoulder together when we actually do agree on really important things. I have tested this in many times in many places with different people and I found these ideas can generate meaningful discussion whether people believe the Bible or not whether they're messianic or not, whether they think about the state of Israel with great affection as I do, or whether they don't, but you can have meaningful discussion. So I encourage you, take note of those ideas and think for yourself how you can have useful discussion with people. And this way, your discussions don't degenerate into um, many words that become just arguments that produce neither understanding nor uh, good relationships with people. And when we use many words and we fight over words and we fight over the wrong things, we actually close our hearts and we close other people's hearts and their minds as well. So learn how to communicate. Okay, that's one topic. Now we're going to the next one. <laughs> and believe it or not, it does, in, in my strange mind, all tie together. A few weeks ago, I gave you two vocabulary words, adumbration and eschatological, and I said last week I was going to um, delve into those, and I really only could mention them once. I didn't delve into them. Today, I will. And some of you are saying, who cares? I didn't come here for complicated English words that I'm never going to use in real life. So I, I'll just do a survey. How many of you have, have ever used the word adumbration in your normal conversation with friends and family? 
Yeah, me neither. Um, sometimes it can be used as a uh, legal term. It has certain meaning there. It's, it can be used as a literary term. It can also be used as a theological term. But adumbration is a great word. And I listed this word in eschatological in Facebook. I put it on my personal page, the congregational page, the the podcast page, and so if you're wondering how to spell it, I can only give you, I will only give you the first four letters, A-D-U-M, uh, and, but you can look up the rest of it. Adumbration, say that with me, adumbration. Now, adumbration is important as a concept because some things that have happened are adumbrations about the future. They're advanced indications of what God plans to do. We looked at one example, the example of the life of Caleb. The scriptures indicate that Caleb was born uh, from the, the Edomite people, not from the children of Israel, so he's not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he is related to Abraham. Um, and I would say the, script, the scriptures are 99.98% clear about that. That Caleb was actually from a different people group. But Caleb, or Caleb, uh, becomes a key figure among the children of Israel. And he's one of only two people who are over the age of 20 who God says are wholehearted from that time period and serving the Lord entirely and who are granted permission to go into the promised land with the rest of the children of Israel. The other 10 spies don't go in, but not only the other 10 spies, the rest of the generation 20 and up that came out of the land of Egypt does not go in because they weren't wholehearted. And so there you have in Joshua who was born uh, into a Jewish family, and Caleb, who was not, you have, a, you have an adumbration. You have a prophetic picture of what God is doing, bringing Jews and non-Jews together into uh, a love for each other and the seeking of common good and the, the elimination of social barriers and all of the conflicts and walls associated with that. So Caleb, Caleb fit into the children of Israel, and in fact, ultimately, he was selected by the tribe of Judah to be one of their key spokesmen. And he was given land within the assigned territory of the tribe of Judah, though he wasn't born of Judah. He was given land. And that is an adumbration of what God intends to do. Ezekiel, uh, as we read about, uh, a few weeks ago, speaks about this future time when the children of Israel will have the full and peaceful uh, right to live in all the territory that God has granted to them. And those Gentiles who have had children and raised them in Israel with the children of Israel, with uh, the, the rest of the Jewish people, they will be granted not just citizen rights, but they will be given land rights that are exactly the same as the Jewish people. And this is a, uh, this is a picture of where God is headed. So 
Kalev, Caleb is an adumbration. He's a picture in, the, in that present moment of what God intends to do in a more full measure in the future. And so we can look through the scriptures and we can recognize adumbrations and we can, um, in this way, get in touch with God's prophetic plans and what God ultimately wants to do. Um, we can see that along the way, he does in part. This is one of the characteristics of the things that are truly prophetic, that not only um, will they come true in full, but along the way, there'll be moments where we see the reality of what God has in his heart and mind, and that reality is revealed to us in part. Now, the word adumbration, just if you're wondering, comes from a Latin word that means uh, to cast a shadow, or to, to show an outline. And so some would, would explain that an adumbration is sort of uh, an advance indication, even with sketchy details, of uh, the big picture of what's going to happen. So I think it's a useful word, even if you will never use it in, in your uh, personal communication with others. It's a good concept because it helps you connect to something. You connect to what's happening in the past, what's happening in the present, and how it relates to the future. That's one of the ideas behind adumbration. Now there's another example, Jews married to Gentiles and serving Yeshua. Some people would see this just as assimilation or uh, an example of the loss of Jewish identity, but actually it's an adumbration about where God is headed. It's an anticipation of what God wants to do. And this is why we see that same thing happening in the life of Abraham. Abraham married a non-Jew, by definition. And then Isaac also did. And then Jacob also did. And then Joseph also did, and then Moses also did, and uh, some people say, did any of these guys marry Jews? And the answer is no, but these women were used by God to join together with the men and to cause increase to the house of Israel, to the people of Israel. So this also is an adumbration. It's a picture of what God is intending to do on a much greater scale. When we were looking at that um, passage from Isaiah 49, verse 6, where the Lord says something like this, as important as the revival of the Jewish people is, it's not enough to only participate in that It's necessary as well to be a light to all the nations of the world. And it's it's not a either or, it's a both and. And in fact, one of the great mysteries is the second goal, being a light to the nations, is dependent on the first goal being accomplished in part or in some measure. So the actual fact of participating in the spiritual renewal, revival, and restoration of the Jewish people is useful for the revival of the nations and the restoration 
of all ethnic groups and nationalities throughout the world. In fact, the restoration of all the nations depends on Jewish people being restored. So it's, it's a very useful understanding. And then if, if you grasp that, then Jews married to Gentiles who are serving Yeshua and raising their families with Messianic Jewish identity, this also is an example of an adumbration, an anticipation, an advance indication of what God plans to do. In the same way, Messianic synagogues are adumbrations. Messianic synagogues with strong commitment to being a home for Messianic Jewish families are an adumbration of what God wants to do. But we're not just limited to that. We want to be Messianic synagogues that also are places that welcome every kind of Jew, regardless of their perspective or experience, who has questions about spirituality, about the life of faith, or questions about Yeshua, that they could come here and they could, they could explore their questions in a sincere and honest way as a Jew. But we don't want to be limited to that as well. We want to be a home for people from every nation, every, every land, every people group who have a heart to be joined together with the Jewish people to move forward with Messiah together. And so we're all of these things, and thus a Messianic synagogue that, that embraces all of this is an adumbration of where God is headed prophetically. So our synagogue, Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue, is an adumbration of what God plans to do in a much greater measure in the future. So adumbration, it's a useful word, and it's a useful concept, and not only is it useful from a technical point of view, but nobody's using it for any other purpose. And, and so there's not confusion and there's not baggage about it. So if you're conceiving like what's going on and you say, wow, that's an adumbration. It's like, yeah, no one, I mean, people don't know what you're talking about, but you will. <laughs> but there are all sorts of words that have lost their meaning. They've been diffused and they mean many different things to different people. And this is a word that has not yet been borrowed by many or utilized by many. And so it's a useful word. It helps us conceptualize, I think, and to discern what God is doing now in our lives and as individuals, as families, as a congregation, and even throughout the world. Now, the second vocabulary word is eschatological. Say that with me, eschatological. And it begins with the four letters E-S-C-H. It is not related to scatological, which is a great word. And uh, I was hoping I could work that into my message. <laughs> and if you don't know what it means, look it up. <laughs> or ask all the people who are laughing about it at the old egg. It's a, it's a different word. Though some people have noticed that sometimes when you're talking about eschatological things, the discussion moves into scatological thinking. But you'll have to look up the definitions in order to know. <laughs> so what accompanies the idea of adumbration, the, the advance indication from the past or the present about the future, is the idea of the eschatological, the view of the ultimate goal and purpose of things. 
the view of the future of humanity, the future of the Jewish people, the future of all the nations of the world, and the future of human souls. And sometimes when we see into the distance or to the horizon, if you will, the future of what God wants to do, it helps us recognize what is happening in our lives right now. Sometimes we're trying to make sense of our current situation in life, and we search the scriptures, we're reading the scriptures even. We may not even be looking for answers, but all of a sudden we read something or come across something in the scriptures that speaks to the issue that we're facing and helps us make sense of what we're going through. We see something that God says he is doing or will be doing, and it illuminates our understanding of what's going on now. Now, there are some things that God says he wants to do that some people think are unbelievable. I'll give an example. God says that he wants uh, to do such a work that the nations of this world will not learn to make war against each other. How many of you think that's almost unbelievable? It is almost unbelievable, looking at current affairs. But God sees that as a set goal and purpose to which human history will one day arrive. Now, how many, how many think this could actually happen, that the world would be so transformed that the nations will not be learning to make war against each other? I, I do. How many think that it's almost certainly not the case that the United Nations is going to be the agent that causes that to happen. <laughs> Not that I'm against the United Nations, but I don't think the United Nations is going to pull off perfect world peace in this fashion. How many are pretty sure that the Soviet Union or its, uh, its heirs is probably not going to do it? How many are pretty sure North Korea is not the agency that is going to produce this, this result? But even so, as hard as it is to conceive or to imagine the way by which it could occur, this idea that there will come a time when nations don't learn to make war against each other, it's still in our hearts, and what is said about it in the scriptures has actually got our attention. And when we decide we want to be peaceful with each other, even in the synagogue, despite our ethnic differences and nationality differences, our differences in background, in a sense, we are embracing God's prophetic plan and we're applying it to today. And so we have a vision of the eschatological. We have a vision of the distant future. It may be the near future, but it's the horizon, if you will. We have that vision, and it affects how we think and how we act right now. Now, I, I, I'll give another example. How many, how many believe that God wants to heal the brokenhearted? Isaiah said it. Yeshua, at one Shabbat, he's opening up the, the scroll of Isaiah and reading the Haftorah portion at that time, uh, which would now be called Isaiah chapter 61, but there were no chapters. And he reads about the Spirit of the Lord being upon 
the one who's speaking, to bring good news and to bring comfort and healing to the brokenhearted. And Yeshua goes through a variety of things. And it's, it's unbelievable in a sense what he's saying because he says right now here where we are as I'm reading this is coming into fullness. This is what he said to those who were there with him. And he was saying what God said he would do he's now doing in a more full measure. How many have a heart to see sick people healed? Or people with long-standing physical difficulties healed. So what, what Isaiah talked about and what Yeshua spoke about, this is in your heart already, right? Even though you know not everybody's gonna get healed now, and not every circumstance is gonna be quickly remedied, you have a heart for the sick. Uh, some of you will go and you will serve those who are in the hospital or who are at home or in recovery because you have this heart. Now, how many people know that, that bringing food to the poor, feeding the poor and the hungry, that this is something that, that God says is part of his good news package? Yeah. And yet you know that there will be poor people and there will be hungry people now and in the future, so it's not going to be fully remedied, even though you see it. But you have a heart for it. You, you want to give of your resources, of your time, of your money, of, of your thoughtfulness and engagement, so that some people who are hungry can be fed and not continue to have food insecurity. We're in, you know, we're one of the richest countries in, in human history. And yet in our midst, there are many in this country who have food insecurity and even on a daily basis are not sure that they will have enough to eat or where the next meal will come from. The Holocaust survivors, even in Jacksonville, who live in Jacksonville, have food insecurity typically for a week or longer each month, as do many elderly in Jacksonville. So here we are in a growing and prosperous area and yet there are people in our midst who have food insecurity. But your heart has, has, uh, has opened up to their needs and you already want to do something and are doing something, some of you. And why is that? It's because the prophetic, the eschatological that God says he wants to do, you're embracing now, even though you know that it will take time, and maybe beyond your lifetime or the lifetime of your children or grandchildren before this matter is, is fully remedied. And yet, you hold on for that. Some of you have a heart for the prisoners, those in jail and those who are in, in prison, and you want to serve them and to minister to them and, and to talk to them about forgiveness, about repentance that leads to life, about faith with God, and how to live for God freely even when they don't have legal freedom. But you have a heart now. The hearts that are touched in this way have been touched by the eschatological plan of God. The things that God plans to do 
in the future have already captured you now. And so when you think about it this way, that the eschatological speaks about the ultimate future, and it applies as well in part to the present and as well to the past, then the eschatological goes from eternity to the future to the past. Do you see that? And adumbrations go from the past to the present to the future. Do you get that? And they connect to each other and they pass by and intersect with each other and inform each other. And so that's why I'm, I'm using these two terms because I think they help us make sense out of life when we realize some things that are happening in my life are adumbrations. And they're speaking about the future, the advance indication of the future. And other things, um, the future has gotten a hold of me or someone else, and I can appreciate it. And I see the eschatological, but I can also see the present. This causes me to make sense of the past, the present, and the future. And in this way, I can better understand what it means to be prophetic and to live in uh, the prophetic world of chazon, of, of prophetic revelation, insight, and understanding. It's not really about how do you read the headlines on the news and say, yeah, that's in the Bible, that means this. But rather, how do you discern the times in which we're living? And how do, you do, how do you connect to what's happening now that is an advance indication? Uh, and how do you connect that with the future? It's not about predicting. It's not about fortune-telling or foretelling. It's about making sense of what actually is happening now so that we can better understand how to live in the times that we're um, living in. Now, if you've ever tried to share the good news of Yeshua in a messianic way with Jewish people or people from other groups, you probably have been asked hard questions. How many can relate to that? Difficult questions. In fact, you may be asked questions for which there are no good answers or easy answers. However, in the process of being asked such questions, it's it motivates us to ask the questions too. In fact, what the person verbalized to us as their question may actually be our unrecognized question. And we too have the question. So the process of bringing the good news to other people actually stirs up in us a need to be able to think about and to process how we understand the question and the answer. So we may find that the answers that, that, that we discover not only are helpful to the person who asked us, but they help us ourselves as well. It, because it's true that bringing good news to other people results in good news for us. I have a, an uncle who describes himself as scientific and logical, and, the, and he says, that's why I don't believe in God. Because God is like, you know, he's like an invisible concept. And, you know, I like to, I only believe in what I can see. Well, I thought about that. And I thought this. Everything you can see is made up of invisible things. 
So it, look at the person next to you. Just look at them for a second. You see them, don't you? But you're not seeing the molecules of which they're composed, am I right? And you're definitely not seeing the atoms, nor the subatomic particles, am I correct? In fact, all of those things which are real are invisible. So you're actually participating in something you may never have recognized, that everything real that you can see is made up of invisible things you can't see. So the world is actually made up of invisible stuff. It's simply that our eyes and our senses are tuned to certain wavelengths, and we can perceive the more, uh, the bigger stuff, if you will, if you will. I'm not sure if it's the bigger stuff, but it's the stuff made up of the little stuff. But I look at a person, I look at my wife, and I think, she's real. She's definitely real. I'm glad, Sandy, you're real. And yet, anybody who's married to a woman knows that there are invisible things going on in, in women. Am I right? Yeah. And sometimes we guys, you know, even though we have eyes and ears and, you know, other perceptive things, we can't figure out what we're experiencing. That's a side note. I want you to grasp something. The past, the present, and the future are all connected to each other. And the God of eternity is the Lord of this world, and the invisible God is also the, the God of the visible. The Haftorah portion, Nachmu, for this week, comfort, comfort my people, has a reference. It, it, it's, it's hidden inside one verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21. You might take note of this. It's, it's a comment to all the people who are asking difficult questions and saying, why is this happening, and who are challenging God about this and that, thinking that if they can ask hard questions, then it, it either disproves God or his goodness. And here's, here's the heavenly response. Isaiah 40, verse 21. Don't you know? Don't you listen haven't you been told from the very start? Don't you understand how the earth is set up? That's the, that's the comment. Don't you know what's going on? Aren't you paying attention? Didn't somebody already tell you? You don't understand how the world works and how the whole universe works? This is the way the world works. God creates. He watches over. He intervenes. Sometimes he lets things happen for a long time before he takes action. In any case, God has plans. He has purposes. He has his own timetable. He has purposes, goals, milestones along the way. He has boundary markers along the path. And that's the way it is. That's the way the world really works. And if you don't know that, you don't know enough about how the world really works. The fact that you can ask a question for which you think there is no answer doesn't mean there is no answer. It just means you've satisfied yourself that there's no answer. So that's one of the comments. 
But there's another comment that Isaiah 40 is making, and that is this. It's not abstract at all. It's you can walk on a path in life with God, and life will make more sense to you if you do. Now, connect that to something that that we say and we sing each week as part of our Torah service. Um, The Lord reigns, the Lord has reigned, and the Lord will reign. So think about the the tense. The Lord reigns. What tense is that? Present tense, right. The Lord has reigned. It's a past tense. The Lord will reign. Future tense. So what actually unites the past, the present, and the future is the Lord. And the the authority of God and the love of God and the plans of God and the purposes of God, this is what unites it all. And it unites the past, it unites the present, it unites the future in any direction you're going from. You can be coming from there or you can be looking to there and he will bring unity to all of this. It is the Lord. This is what Isaiah is opening up to everyone. The Lord will make sense of everything for you, not by answering every question, but when you actually learn to live with God, then what happens is your heart opens up, your eyes open up, your ears open up, and you understand. And I want to close in by looking at what Yeshua had to say about this very idea. Mark 8, verse 17 is, is, is one telling of it. Yeshua's disciples are talking about the fact that they ran out of bread. And he's listening to them and he asks them a question. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? You see, he's saying, don't you see? Don't you understand? Are your hearts hard? Open hearts are soft hearts, and open hearts are accompanied by open spiritual eyes, and open hearts and open spiritual eyes bring understanding, insight, and perception. That's what Yeshua is alluding to. Verse 18, he says it clearly. Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? And do you not remember? This is interesting. The spiritual eyes are connected to spiritual ears, and both are connected to our normal memories and our thinking processes. Our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears are connected to our brain and mind functions of remembering and recalling. And when we see things through our spiritual eyes, the way God is seeing things, when we hear things through our spiritual ears, when our hearts are open to God, then we can think about and we can remember things correctly. Yeshua, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of broken pieces did you collect? 12, they said. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? Seven, they answered. And then Yeshua says, don't you understand? Don't you get it? Don't you get what's going on? That's his question of them. (coughs) I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray for us that we'll be able to remember what God has done. 
and that we'll be able to think clearly and that we'll be perceptive because our spiritual eyes are open, because our spiritual hearts are open, and our spiritual ears are open, and thus we can understand and we can be useful in perceiving things the way God wants so that we can be helpful to other people. And in that way, we'll avoid a lot of wasted time that Yeshua's disciples wasted by saying, we got no bread. What are we gonna do? And he says, come on, guys, I thought I showed you I can fix those things. Didn't I already show you? Weren't you, weren't you looking, weren't you listening, weren't you thinking about this? I believe that God wants to open us up because he wants us together to be able to do more and greater things together. If that's in your heart, if, if you're saying, Lord, you know what, I wanna, I wanna be more useful, I wanna see things better, I wanna have an open heart that's open to you in stronger ways, stand up right now, let's pray together. If you're saying, Lord, there are things going on in my life that don't make sense, but I know they must make sense to you, and so I wanna bring my heart to you, open up my heart, I open my heart to you, Lord. I open my mind to you, I open my eyes and my ears to you, and I say, Lord, I want to see what you are showing me. I want to hear and understand. I want to be able even to think about things past and things present and things future in a way that makes sense that you shine light on. Use me and use us together, I pray, that we can do great things together as a community great things together as families and as individuals that require this open-heartedness. And let us not ever grow dull or hard-hearted, we pray, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. You can remain standing. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And if you're standing by yourself, I want to ask you just to move enough so that you're not by yourself. And then remember, we'll go right to the Shalom Center for... Bagels and coffee at one o'clock. Those of us who are part of the membership class meet us in the uh, Talmudim room. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.